You are listening to the latest edition of the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you post-NBA All-Star Weekend. We're still in the midst of the fallout of the Houston Astros scandal, and we got two weeks of the XFL under our belt. We're going to dive into all that, but first, let's turn it over to the ESPN-UP phone line. Introduce a friend of the show. He's back. My old podcast partner, Mr. Andrew Banstra, joins us from the Southern Maryland area, Waldorf, Maryland, where he's a play-by-play man of the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs. Kind enough to give us some time and give us his thoughts on several topics, several subjects around the sports world. What's up, Andrew? Hey, man. I really appreciate you having me on. Um, any Anytime Anytime we get the chance to talk sports, especially if we get to do it on a radio radio station, it's always a blast. So I really appreciate you having me on. Well, I'm glad to have you here. And, of course, Andrew, if you missed this, Andrew has become not quite a household name, maybe just about there because you're the guy that called the first ever steal of first base in professional baseball history. So it makes you famous, doesn't it? I mean, I, I think you're being a little bit too generous, <laughs> but I, I appreciate it. And yeah, that was, that was quite the experience. It's been a... Uh, it's been a crazy ride. Well, I tell you what, you are a professional uh, as far as covering baseball, and we certainly have a major baseball story, a scandal brewing. You are in the D.C. area, so you've got your fingers on the pulse of sports down there. You've had a Stanley Cup to celebrate here in the last two years. You've had a World Series this most uh, recent baseball season. And now you've got a new team you're introduced to with the XFL. And maybe the best quarterback in the XFL resides right there in D.C. The Defenders, 27 nothing winners on Saturday. The first ever shutout in the XFL. And Cardell Jones, is it too early to say that right now he's the MVP frontrunner? Yeah, and it's, you know, it's really interesting. I don't think it is too early to say, but it's so interesting with the XFL because it's very much like the Atlantic League, the league that I work in. It's an independent league with innovative rules, and from that experience, I can say that from the D.C. Defenders perspective, it's great to have the MVP, but when you have the MVP, you might lose the MVP because he could get a call back to the NFL, so... That's always something to keep on the horizon, but I would say yes, right now, Cardell Jones has been fantastic, um, and he's really, once again, you know, making more of a name for himself in this new spotlight. I almost wonder why he wasn't getting a look in the NFL. He looks like he's still got it. Him and P.J. Walker, right now, those are the two quarterbacks I've been the most impressed with. i got to ask you, though, Andrew, you get a good sense of what sports are like down there in D.C. Your fingers are on the sports pulse down there. How is the XFL being received where you are? Well, I think that it's being received with, with huge, huge arms. I mean, I think in many ways, for this reason that I'm about to say, it's been hugely successful. And I would say the reason is is that because... So I've heard stories about the Redskins, that back in the day, literally stores would close for Redskins games. Like, you couldn't go to the grocery store during the Redskins games, even down where I am, 45 minutes away from, um, from where the Redskins play. They used to play in D.C., now they play in Maryland, but... These days, there's a pretty negative connotation with the way that the Redskins are run, and that starts at the top, obviously, with Dan Snyder. Um, I've heard not great things about the way that they um, deal with their employees and so on and so on. So there's kind of a weird little opening for a kinship to a football team just because of how poorly the on-field play has been and the negative connotation with the Washington Redskins. 
So I think that people love the the, the XFL and they love the D.C. Defenders, not to mention they've won back-to-back games. But as we would expect, I think that, you know, you've got to think, well, the XFL failed before. You have the USFL that had failed before the AAF. So it's I think time's going to tell. But for the moment being, I think that it's been a really, really massive success. Andrew, the XFL as a whole, they had a great first week. The ratings, as we expected, weren't as uh, superlative, should we say, here in week two. Still pretty good, nonetheless. And I tell you what, Vince McMahon has sunk so much money into this, I don't have any fear that it's going to fold before season's end like the AAF did. They'll make it through at least the season. But there really is reason to believe that this is a sustainable league. I, I just want to get your overall thoughts on the league as a whole, what you've seen here in the first couple of weeks. I wanted to see, uh, you know, personally, uh more dynamic plays. I want to see uh, a lot more double passes. I want to see the three-point extra try uh, get used a little bit more, and I haven't necessarily been overwhelmed with that. That being said, the product that has been on the field, I've been pleasantly surprised with. It's actually been good football here in the early going. Yeah, you know, and it is, it's just so much fun to watch, and I would say that when I think of the league as a whole, like I said, there's, a, there's of course some skepticism in, in the back of my mind, but I think from what I've seen, I think that there's no reason to believe that it's not going to continue to be successful. Of course, we heard before the season that their pre-sales on tickets were more than the AAF ever got in total. I mean, they have the right sponsors in place. They have a great social media following. They're getting buzzed. And I think that really one thing that's not being looked at that much, and the reason why I have been a huge fan of the XFL, is because of the fact that no break. Right, The AAF was before the NFL season, and at that point I wasn't really in football mode. But now that the NFL is over, I'm still trying to wean myself from the addiction of watching football every weekend, college and NFL, and now I still spend my whole Saturday and Sunday still on that NFL high. And I think that's why the XFL has been so successful. I think the real test is going to be how do they scale up to March Madness? Can they keep and stay relevant? during those huge weekends. Now, that's a great point you bring up because I don't think a lot of people have thought about that. How will the XFL fare once the NCAA tournament comes up? What will the ratings look like then? And how do they sustain what we expect to be a ratings hit? i got to ask you from a personal standpoint, Andrew, on a scale of 1 to 10, where is your level of fandom for the D.C. Defenders? And have you been to a game or do you plan to go to one? You know, I actually was planning on going to the very first game. I found tickets for $15, and then they literally skyrocketed in the next two days. I was like, I'll just get them in a, in a couple days right before the game. And they went up to $150 with the <clears> cheapest <throat> tickets. So, um, you know, I think that they are really a, they're a good football team. They've got an incredible defense. Jones on the offensive end and, and, and some good pieces. I think that the D.C. defenders have a really, really good shot at going ahead and winning this, you know, the whole thing. Obviously, it's really early to say that, but um, that's kind of the thing about the XFL is that you don't really know. But from what we've seen, I think that they are a top-notch team, and they're going to be really, really good. Uh, My brother went to the game this most recent weekend, and he said that it was electric um, and, and would love to go back. So I think they've done a great job generating hype. And you're right, the on-field product is up to par, and then you're going to ask for a little bit of, you know, naturally everybody wants the, the exciting plays. And I think that, I wonder, and I want to know what you think about this, I wonder if some of these guys are 
having trouble adjusting to the the new the new rules, and I saw that firsthand with the uh, MLB Atlantic League rule changes. When players were able to steal first base, it only happened like three times that I saw in the first two months that you were allowed to do it, because it's just not your instinct to do these crazy new rule changes. And by the end of the season, everybody was doing it. So I think that. Once you get past the unconventional nature of these new rules, things are going to be a little bit more accepting, and hopefully we get progressive changes to the NFL that will eventually be relayed into NFL play. Let me see if you agree with me on this. My favorite part of the XFL thus far has been the transparency with the replay reviews. I'm not a huge, uh, I, I shouldn't say that, I'm not as enthralled with the microphones being shoved in a player's face after they've either made a great play or a terrible play. I'm, you know, I don't hate it, but I'm not necessarily enthralled with it. By far, though, the best part about the XFL has been how transparent they are with their replay reviews, their booth reviews, and it's something the NFL absolutely should adopt themselves. Well, yeah, and it just makes you think for a second. I mean, you think... Well, if the XFL can do it, why is the NFL not doing it? It's always one of those things in the back of your mind. Either you haven't thought about why they aren't as transparent, or you've been like, oh, well, they just couldn't do that. But now that you see the XFL do it, it's like, well, then why isn't the NFL doing it? You're exactly right. I mean, I am a little bit on edge about the sticking the, the microphone in players' faces. Um, I think that, you know, from a, from a different standpoint, Maybe it gives these guys a little bit more of a spotlight, more media attention to get to the NFL, maybe give them a bigger um, a bigger name and a bigger reputation because they get more media coverage. But it, it makes me a little bit uneasy just sticking the uh, microphone in players' faces right then and there. No, it just seems like it puts the reporter in a bad situation. I felt bad for poor Deanna Rossini a couple of days ago. See, Matt McGloin kind of... Took it out on her in a way. He was frustrated, and then he ended up getting benched shortly afterwards. That's my only drawback with doing something like that. But I get it's something they've got to do to try and keep the ratings up. I should ask you, you know, you're a native of Iowa, just like myself. Was it a pretty easy choice for you being in the D.C. area to pick the defenders as your team, or did you have to think about it a little bit? Oh, yeah, there was no choice. I I think that it's exciting for me because, obviously, I've never had an XFL team, and they're right up the road. Um, yeah, the XFL or the DC Defenders were an easy choice, and um, it, it's been a lot of fun. We're trying to, we're kind of fostering a partnership between the Blue Crabs and them, only because we are them in terms of baseball. Obviously, we don't have near the spotlight, but in terms of an independent league from the dominant force of the XFL or the NFL or the MLB, and a league that has the crazy rule changes, we're trying to foster a relationship with them. Um, in, in that regard, so it's a familiar feeling, but yeah, it was an easy, easy choice to choose the DC Defenders. Do you have a favorite player? Is it Cardell Jones, PJ Walker, Jordan Tayamu? Anybody that sticks out to you that you like watching the most? I think it's got to be Cardell Jones. Yeah. Of course, we all watched him in college. Um, an interesting story, to say the least. You got to think to yourself: Did he go to the NFL too soon? And that was such a unique situation for him. We think back on that. And he had that opportunity like, well, what if I'm not thought of as fondly when I go to the NFL in a couple years and I just got to jump on this opportunity to get the money now? And, you know, it might have been a little bit too soon for him, but 
the XFL spotlight has seemed just about perfect for him to this point. So he's got to be my favorite player. Andrew Banster is a play-by-play voice of the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs. We're broadcast partners, podcast partners, and he's got his fingers on the pulse of sports in the D.C. area. Kind enough to give us some time here in ESPN-UP. Let's take our first time out. When we come back, we'll talk a little baseball and what's been going on with the Astros and how long that is still going to linger next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back, Tanner Hoops and Andrew Banster with you. Glad that you're along as always. The sign-stealing scandal continues to rock Major League Baseball. The Houston Astros cheated their way to the 2017 World Series. Andrew, you cover baseball professionally. You played baseball collegiately. I know it's been a big part of your life for a long time, and honestly, we haven't had nearly as much discussion on the subject as we should have by this point. Give me your thoughts overall on where you are with the Astros and the state of baseball right now. Well, first off, I just want to say that I think that the Astros, well, first of all, I think that the MLB, starting with them, have handled this extremely poorly. Mm -hmm. Um, In my opinion, there should have been, at the very least, suspensions for players. Um, I think you start there, and then you start looking at stripping them of the title, which I think, I think would have been appropriate. Now, what we don't know is how much the other teams were doing it, and so on and so on, and it gets into a slippery slope. Something I heard was, well, if you strip them of their title, then what about the um, the old teams that used to bet on uh, bet against themselves and they threw the World Series? You think about, well, do you strip everybody of a title that had somebody on their team with steroids? But I think at the very least, you have to reprimand the players because when you think about it, I mean. Yes, the manager knew what was going on. Yes, the general manager knew what was going on. And if they were helping implement it, nothing goes on without the players. And knowing, I mean, we know how a professional baseball clubhouse works. You and I do. I mean, these are guys that are the top notch at their sport. The manager is there in many regards just to kind of keep everybody in check. He's not always necessarily critiquing them on their swing and what have you. I mean, this is a guy that is watching the best athletes in the world. So these guys are making these decisions to cheat, and I think that Cody Bellinger and Mike Trout and what have you have been really doing what the game needs and doing what the MLB should have done in the first place and really coming down hard on these guys and saying you can't cheat the system. And I think that that's been really, really important. I saw Rob Manfred was going to have a presser yesterday at 4.30, and I thought maybe he's going to reverse course here and do what he should have done and take away the 2017 title. That doesn't mean you have to give it to the Dodgers, but you sure can take it away from the Astros and have no World Series champion that you just vacate the title. Yet that would probably have left an even bigger black mark on baseball's resume. And I get, in a sense, why Rob Manfred didn't do that. That doesn't mean I agree with it. I don't agree with it because there's no punishment happening for the Astros here. They had their cringeworthy presser last week where they gave these canned PR-written apologies. Jim Crane just looked terrible when he was taking questions. And he thinks that he has absolved the team and everyone who was a part of that 2017 scandal by firing Jeff Lunau and A.J. Hinch. And yeah, they knew about it it happened on their watch they should be fired but that doesn't fix the problem that doesn't absolve anybody uh who's still in the locker room there i mean have you seen this website an astros fan put together it's like 
signstealingscandal.com or something to that effect. Um, if you haven't seen it, an Astros fan named Tony Adams put together this uh, website. It is called signstealingscandal.com. And he goes back and finds film from, I think, 58 of Houston's home games this year. And he listens to every individual pitch. And he tries to hear when someone's banging a trash can to let the batter know what pitch is coming. And he assigned percentages to each player and how much they used uh, the alleged banging from the trash can to know what pitch is coming. And I'm looking at this list right now, and I'm seeing 18.9%, 18.1%, 16.6%, 17.9%, as high as 228 Uh Here's one, 264 That was Tyler White. And it's amazing that about, for the average on the team, one out of every five pitches, the hitter knows exactly what's coming. And I know you're a Yankees fan, Andrew, and we talked about this at the time, that Joe Girardi, he was a good manager, and he was fired after the 2017 series. If the Yankees win that series and go on to the World Series, Joe Girardi might have a job still. I mean, this has affected a lot more people besides the the Astros improving their chances for a title, and I think they're finally starting to realize that, how much this really affected people beyond themselves. Well, yeah, and that's, that's something that the Astros players themselves, I'm sure, weren't realizing at the time, but you're exactly right. I mean, let's put it into this perspective, too. You've got a guy like, let's say, I don't know, um, George Springer. So George Springer is a top-notch guy at his position, right? Mm-hmm. Well, he is going to make a certain amount of money based off of how he performed. But then a guy that has the exact same amount of talent as George Springer isn't going to make nearly as much money just because George Springer was cheating. So basically, they've kind of shifted the whole market based off of entirely cheating and that's just going to screw everybody else over in the entire baseball world so it goes so so much further than the than the surface level and and it's just it's it's mind-blowing what was going on in this operation another kind of intricacy that i found really really i don't know how to think about it i mean i don't even know what word to say is i heard trevor bauer talking and he's kind of talking about how well Everybody in baseball already knew about this, and it was just kind of a kind of a, just a secret that everybody knew. Well, I mean, I get it that it's kind of a brotherhood and a fraternity, you know, the MLB, but I don't know, man. Like, how do you stay quiet about that for so long? Mm-hmm. I mean, Mike Fires is obviously a hero for for doing what he did, but it's and I'm not I'm not knocking anybody that didn't come out and, and throw them under the bus. It's just surprising to me that it stayed a secret as long as it did, and you've got to wonder how many teams were doing this also, right? I mean, the Astros, what if they decide, well, you know what, I've had enough of it. I'm going to tell you this. For example, the Cincinnati Reds were doing it too, or or something of that nature. And I mean, it's just crazy, crazy, crazy how widespread the the, the vibrations and the effects of this scandal have gone and will continue to go well i get the feeling that we're going to have the results of the red sox investigation coming up here shortly and i do believe that we'll find that they were at least partly involved with the alex cora connection i start to get the feeling that if any other team really did do this here 
that it would have come out by now. Some kind of anonymous source would have gotten an interview with Jeff Passan or Tim Kirkjian, somebody at ESPN who's a baseball insider, and would just spill everything saying, oh yeah, it's not just the Astros doing this, this is a widespread problem in baseball. To me, at least in this sense, I'm sure, you know, if you put a sign out there and a team picks it off, they know what's coming. But using an iPad and having film crews specifically watch what fingers a catcher's putting down to me is just mind-blowing to me in a couple of senses one that somebody would try this and think they can get away with it and two that honestly it's taken someone this long to do it while we've had the technology available it kind of does surprise me that it's taken somebody this long to actually try to do this so to me i just i'm confused in multiple ways in regards to the to the Astros scandal and what the end game was. And this is honestly, Andrew, the thing that I believe is why their apology fell flat or their pseudo apology last week is because, yeah, they'll admit wrongdoing, but then they turn around and say, we had a good enough team, we would have won the World Series. What we did didn't impact the outcome of that season. The title is still valid, and that's what Carlos Correa was saying earlier today when Cody Bellinger made some remarks. He responded to Cody Bellinger. When you look at the World Series, they left so many guys on base on Game 7. Throughout the whole World Series, Cody didn't have a good World Series. So for him to be talking about us stealing that championship... Don't talk about it. You should not be talking about it. You should have done something about it. Because when you analyze the games, we won fair and square, Ken. And we earned that championship. Wow. That's not the look the Astros need right now. It's, It's a terrible look, and it's why their apology fell flat, is because they're saying, yeah, we cheated, but it wouldn't matter because we won it anyway. And I mean, to me, I think that's the biggest reason why their pseudo apology fell flat. And I. I think that in so many ways, this has just been such a strange story. The way that this narrative keeps shaping itself, it seems as though every time you think that it couldn't get worse, it does every single time. I mean, think about what Rob Manfred said yesterday when he said, well, the reason I didn't take the the World Series away is because, you know, the asterisk is already kind of there and taking a piece of metal away seems so futile. Well, what do you mean? It's the, it, first of all, you're saying that, and it's called the commissioner's trophy. So let's, <laughs> let's take it back just a notch. Like, uh, are you demeaning yourself? Are you diminishing your own position? But then also, I mean, sports are futile at the end of the day. I mean, it is just a game if you want to say that. But for so many reasons, it's also not. So don't try to knock down what how important a World Series trophy is and what have you. And I think the other the other really interesting part of this that I think that people like yourself and I find interesting is just how this narrative has shaped from a media perspective. And then from a PR perspective, the Astros are in a unprecedented circumstance because my first thought when this came out was, well, is the MLB going to take the NCAA approach where they strip them, maybe give them the death penalty, or are they going to take the professional sports approach and they're going to say, you know, I, I don't know what they do, but clearly they did whatever they thought was appropriate. And the Astros PR department has to just be a disaster right now, because if you think about it, typically with something like this in today's age, you can just say, well, let's just sweep that under the rug. It will be forgotten about it by the next news cycle and what have you. But 
that's just not the case right now. It just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And I think that every time an Astro speaks, and to be honest, every time Rob Manfred speaks, they're just putting oil into the fire and it's making it worse and worse. Here's my solution, Andrew. You take their top, I don't know, six, seven players, something like that. You take Bregman, Altuve, Verlander, Correa, Springer, and you put them in this pool around the trade deadline. So Houston competes with them until July 31st. And then you have almost like an expansion draft thing where those guys are all selected by the teams with like the six or seven worst records in baseball at the time. And that's their punishment. They have to bring up guys to fill those spots. They lose all their top guns. And like Jose Altuve stuck playing for Baltimore and Bregman is with Seattle something like that that's my solution yeah and I like that I I like that too I mean I think that um it's a redistribution of wealth in a sense that um really I mean it's not it's helping the game in in multiple ways because it's helping the game in the sense that it's redistributing there's a redistribution of wealth but at the same time it's also setting a precedent because to be completely honest Right now, if I'm a player for a different team and I'm looking at the way that the MLB has dealt with this scandal, other than morals, what is stopping me from doing the exact same thing that they did? Mm -hmm. They have really set no precedent. I mean, if I'm on the Yankees, I almost want to do it more than I would have if I heard the idea before. I mean, barring any morals, but when you think about it, you're like, well, these guys cheated to beat me. Why wouldn't I use that same technique to beat them to get back at them plus i know i'm not going to get in any trouble for it so let me go make some more money and win some more championships so exactly really really a strange situation you hit the nail on the head in the sense that baseball has done nothing to detour any other team from doing this again in the future and i think for me that's my biggest gripe with this and how baseball has handled this hey before we go to break i want to get your thoughts on uh Jose Altuve because there was a story that came out that said he didn't want his jersey ripped off not because he was wearing some electronic buzzer on his shoulder but that he had an unfinished tattoo he didn't want the world to see or something like that I mean it's just it's not believable there's a story going around that uh, somebody an unnamed player from that 2017 team told Jeff Passan that Altuve did not like it when teammates did that that he got angry about it that he would hear the bangs happening but he'd not pay attention to it and that sign stealing scandal.com rating had jose altuve at 2.8 percent 2.8 percent of his at bats there was a trash can banging somewhere and i think the biggest thing for because altuve was one of my favorite players before all this came out i love that guy and i think the biggest thing for me i got to keep reminding myself through this these guys aren't bad people who did a bad thing. They're good people who did a bad thing. I, I just want them to walk it back a little bit. I just let me like you guys again by having a little humility, accepting what you did was wrong, not, yeah, we're sorry, but we would have won the title anyway. And for me, that's the one thing I can't get past. It, and I, I completely agree. I mean, Jose Altuve is one of the most likable, likable guys in the MLB prior to this story, but. In many ways, he is guilty by association. And I say that because, I mean, it would be just like in the real world. You're right. Because these guys really, in all reality, at the end of the day, they didn't do, they're not bad people. But if you want to look at it from a, a legal perspective, he is guilty by association. Because even if he wasn't necessarily benefiting from it, he also wasn't coming out and saying, hey, these guys are doing something wrong. Now, I get it. 
that that is something that is basically impossible to do. Be like, hey, all these guys that are my best friends that I'm with every single day, every single hour of every single day that I came up through affiliated ball with, they're all cheating. I mean, nobody's going to do that. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, he also is guilty by association. And until the MLB gets a little bit more concrete with who did what and how much they did it, and not having to rely on, on the signstealingscandal.com. I mean, the MLB should have done that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's something that clearly if this guy has the capability of doing it, they do too. So for in that sense, you've got to clear out Tuve's name as well, but you can't until we know more information and until somebody comes out and takes the fall. I mean, if they would have just fallen on the sword, people wouldn't have forgotten about it but right now, but it wouldn't still be one of the biggest stories in sports. Tanner Hoops, Andrew Banster with you in the sports pen. Let's take our next time out. We'll transition to the NBA post-All-Star weekend, and we'll speculate as to the second half of the year next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back, Tanner Hoops. Andrew Banster with you in the sports pen. Glad that you're along. Here's your Sports Center update. Former Wisconsin Badgers head coach and current New York Giants linebacker coach Brett Bielma is interviewing for the vacant Colorado head coaching job. That was, of course, vacated by Mel Tucker. He's up here in Michigan now. Former Iowa Hawkeye, by the way, Brett Bielma. Miami is the new top-ranked team in college baseball. The U. Michigan went 3-1 and one on opening weekend, by the way. They move up to number 9. And finally, a woman from Maine who lost a ring given to her by her late husband in the 1970s recently had the ring returned to her over 40 years later. When her husband, at the time her boyfriend, asked her out, he gave her his class ring. She took the ring off in a shopping store in Portland, Maine to wash her hands, placed the ring on the sink, and left the bathroom before realizing she wasn't wearing the ring. When she returned to the bathroom, the ring was gone. The ring turned up in a shipping yard in Finland. It was found by a shipbuilder who contacted the school and mailed the ring to America. Ironically, the team's high school nickname was the Shipbuilders. How can that happen? How about that? I would love to know how it got from Portland, Maine to Finland in a course of 40 years, but how about that? That's pretty amazing. That's that's the real question. It's not... Not just how did it get back, but how did it get there in the first place? <laughs> that is your Sports Center update. Tanner Hoops, Andrew Banster with you. One last thing on baseball before we transition to basketball. Here's your Sports Pen shout out of the day, and that goes to two little leagues in Southern California who have now banned any team in that league from using the nickname the Astros. I love that. I, yeah, I love that. I, I mean, hey, if, um, if the MLB is not going to reprimand the Astros, somebody's got to. <laughs> Tell you what, Tanner Hoops, Andrew Banster with you. Glad that you're along. We are post-NBA All-Star break as we come on here Monday afternoon. Andrew, it has been a long time, I tell you what, since I've come on the show the day after an All-Star game of any kind, and I thought, now what they tried last night, the new wrinkle that they put in there, was really good. It was good for the sport. I'm really happy with it. But that's the way I feel with the target score format they used last night. I know why they did it. They used it to honor Kobe Bryant rather than to get more people interested. But it did get more people interested because for a quarter we saw defense in the All-Star game. Kyle Lowry took a charge. I mean, you had guys that just didn't want to give up that 157th point 
And after all that, it ends on a free throw. But it was compelling basketball with the best players in the world out there on the same stage. And they're going dog on dog at each other, going hard for the full quarter. I mean, that that really left a good taste in your mouth if you're a basketball fan. Yeah, and it, it really kind of gives you, it, it almost gives you a sense of what is what is possible, right? I mean, when you think of the All-Star game, you want to see the best players in the whole world go as hard as they can, and that's the best basketball possible. And it really kind of gives you a sense in looking at that through a window. And I also think that basketball always has this bad light on it when you talk about, oh, the NBA players never try, blah, blah, blah. Well, the All-Star game is going to be the most watched games of the year, and they were sure trying. I think that it's really exciting, and I don't know if you've ever heard of something called the Basketball Tournament. Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard of that? Mm -hmm. Well, do you remember how they did that target scoring type thing as well? I Mm -hmm. think that that was kind of interesting, and now we're seeing it a basketball. I mean, they weren't a professional league, but very much like the XFL or the Atlantic League, another league kind of shedding light as to what would be an interesting avenue to explore in that sport. Andrew, I want to ask you about the ending, and I want to lay out two different avenues of argument for you. One of the players after the game, and I believe it was Pascal Siakam, during an interview said that he liked the target score format, but he didn't think that the game should be allowed to end on a free throw. Now, the argument to that would be once someone gets to 155, 156, or whatever the target score is in this case that you're trying to get to, then everyone's just going to start fouling. They're just going to automatically put you at the free throw line. I can see it both ways. What's your take on that? I think that I think you have to let it end on a free throw. It's not fun. It's not exciting. But I, I think you're right. I mean, people are just going to foul all day if you if you don't allow that to happen. It is really interesting the way that worked out. But my other takeaway is: Do you wonder if? I mean, what if it was a blowout? Right? I mean, mm-hmm. What if? Team LeBron was up 40 points heading into the fourth quarter, which gives them a 40-point advantage in that that little weird race to 24. I mean, look, Team LeBron would be up 40 in a game to 24. So, I mean, it, it it's interesting to see how it will work out in the coming All-Star games to see if it will still be just as exciting. But in terms of, you know, recognizing Kobe and what have you, I think that it couldn't have ended in a better way. How about the rest of the All-Star weekend? We had the Celebrity Game Friday night. Excellent job coaching Stephen A. Smith and Michael Wilbon. And I tell you, they were going hard. I mean, they were really getting after it in Chicago Friday night. And then we had the dunk contest Saturday that ended in a little bit of controversy. A lot of people think Aaron Gordon should have got Aaron Gordon certainly thinks that he should have won that title. First and foremost, though, before we get into the controversy, why has the dunk contest lost its luster, in my opinion, really in anyone's opinion? Because people don't seem like they care about it as much as they used to. I certainly don't, and I don't want to be one of those old heads that says, you know, back in my day it was so much better, but that is how I feel about the dunk contest. What about you? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I do think that this was one of the better dunk contests, but that being said, there's two reasons. One, and this is my biggest, one of the biggest flaws. I think the biggest flaw is in the elephant in the room is that the big-name players aren't doing it anymore, right? I mean, back in the day with Dominique Wilkins versus Michael Jordan and what have you and Vince Carter and, and, and the list goes on and on, and now it's these guys that are fringy, exciting players like the Derrick Jones Juniors of the world and Pat Connaughton and, and um, I mean, Dwight Howard's a different story, but and then Aaron Gordon, who's kind of fringy and actually playing a lot better. But when you think about it, 
why isn't LeBron in there, right? Why mm-hmm. isn't, you know, the freak athletes, the best athletes in the world, why aren't they in there? And the other part is, and I'm not a big, I'm, I'm not one of those guys that's always harping on, oh, why is everybody getting participation trophies? But I think that the NBA dunk contest has a little bit of that in that why is almost every dunk a 50? Yes, mm-hmm. it's incredible, but the scale goes to 50. So everything can't be a 50. <laughs> You've got to stop giving out so many 50s. That's always bugged me. I mean, dunking over Taco Fall, in my mind, is a 50. Mm-hmm. What Derek Jones, and it wasn't a 50. They didn't give it that. But Derek Jones Jr.'s last dunk, I mean, could I ever do it even if I jumped off a trampoline? No. But I didn't think it was that impressive compared to the other stuff that he was doing. I mean, he was inside the free throw line. Yes, it was a windmill, but, like, I don't know, man. That was that was pretty pretty darn crazy. I mean, I know somebody that texted me and said, hey, I had money on Aaron Gordon. I can't believe he lost. They bet on it, and mm-hmm. he lost. Oh, now I mean, it, 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 it's crazy. Well, with Taco Fall, you know, they had to dunk over a seven foot six man, and they kind of downgraded uh, Aaron Gordon's dunk attempt because, you know, Taco Fall ducked his head a little bit, and I get it. You know, he was nervous. He's, you know, you know, he's averaging about two minutes a game, and he's a rookie in the NBA. You know, maybe he's a little bit nervous. It's probably just your instinct to do it. But Aaron Gordon, for the most part, he was perfect that night in the dunk contest. It's just. I don't know what more really he could have done if he wanted to win it. But I do want to ask you this, and it's just a theory. Could the dunk contest have lost its luster a little bit, like you you touched on, that the big-name stars aren't in it necessarily, but could it also be because so many of the biggest stars in the game right now are known more for their shooting, their outside shooting, than they are their dunks, like Steph Curry and James Harden, Russell Westbrook, guys like that. Do you think that might factor into it at all? That's actually that's a really good point. I mean, there's not as many there's not as many posterizers in the league today, and I think that shooting is a it's a huge reason. And to even take that into another avenue, I mean, the stretch four, stretch fives of the world, there isn't too many true centers. Um, so you're right. I mean, I I think that's a great point. I think that the expansion of the phenomenon of of shoot over you know threes worth more than two has really kind of led that wave towards making the dunk contest a little bit less exciting. But it's also fun to watch these guys that, like, nobody's going to go out and watch Derrick Jones Jr. Like, yeah, I'm going to turn on my TV and watch him. But those guys are freak athletes. I mean, they may not be the best basketball players, but it is just jaw-dropping to see the stuff that they can do in the air. And to be honest with you, it's interesting because, Derrick Jones Jr. is probably, Derrick Jones Jr. and Aaron Gordon are probably doing cooler dunks than 99% of what you and I think were the good dunk contests. And that's interesting to me because you know Dominique Wilkins wasn't jumping over a 7'6 mm-hmm. guy. He wasn't, you know, getting an alley-oop between his legs, 360, backflip, whatever you have. I mean, the dunks today are cooler, but, I mean, the big names are the shooters. You're right. Andrew, what about, you You brought this up earlier, the scoring. Uh, you said not everything can be a 50, you know, and I do think that that does need to be amended, what have you. Should they go back to the old system, you know, where you had the 8.5, the 9.5 out of 10, you know, the judges flip up those little cards? What to you would be the best scoring system for the NBA dunk contest? 
You know, I think that that would, that would be a little bit better, but then you get a little bit too nitpicky with it, and I don't know. I mean, my biggest problem isn't the scoring itself. I think that if we really want to take it as seriously as, as we are taking it, then I do take it that seriously. But, I mean, we talk about a futile trophy. It's, it's got to be, you know, the slam dunk contest. Nobody remembers. I guess, yeah, maybe they do. But my point is is that it, it, it's not of that much significance. So, I don't know. I mean, you got to think that the scoring, I guess, I guess I'll take that back a little bit. The NBA has made it futile, and the reason that I feel that way is because of the judges that they choose sometimes. I mean, they put celebrities up on the judging table. Is that really the best judge of basketball skill? Mm -hmm. Not necessarily. Does it put a bigger spotlight on the dunk competition? Yeah, it does, but I don't know. I don't don't necessarily think that Common should be one of the five people judging that dunk contest. Last thing here before we go to break, we'll continue with the NBA on the other side, but the newly named All-Star MVP trophy is named for the late, great Kobe Bryant, the Kobe Bryant All-Star MVP Award, and the first ever was awarded last night to Kawhi Leonard. In your mind, was he the most deserving player for that? Yeah, I thought so. I thought so, and obviously most people in that game did have a good connection to Kobe, but it seems as though Kawhi had a pretty good connection to him as well. But I think that he was, I thought he was the best player on the floor last night. Andrew Banstra is with us on the ESPN-UP phone line talking little hoops with Tanner Hoops in the sports pen. Let's take our last time out. We'll speculate to the second half of the NBA season after this on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. If you missed any of today's show, it will be available with the Sports Pen Podcast on demand. Get our free mobile app from the Apple Live Store or Google Play or check out ESPNUP.com. Tanner Hoops, Andrew Banster with you. Don't forget, coming up here in a few hours, we'll have Westwood Patriot Girls Basketball from Gwynn. I'll be there with the play-by-play. It's my hope you join me. 7 o'clock pregame, 7.15 tip right here on the UP. Andrew Banster once again joins us on the ESPNUP phone line. Talk a little NBA. We're getting set for the second half of the season. Andrew, first and foremost, I, I think we've got three teams that are clearly head and shoulders above everyone else. I want to start out west. What would be the wager that you would feel comfortable, whether you're a betting man or not, what would you feel most comfortable putting on the line to say that a team from Los Angeles will be in the, LA, will be in the NBA Finals this year? That a team from Los Angeles will be? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, man. I put a lot of money on that. I mean, <laughs> I haven't been as impressed with the Clippers as I thought I would have been, but they still have an incredible team. And obviously, I think that the Lakers are the favorite. Um, but I would put a good deal of money on that. Maybe, I don't know, $500, $1,000. I mean, I, I don't think there's much doubt in my mind that one of those two teams will be in the final. Man, only $500? I thought you were going to be a lot more. I thought you were going to say, like, your house. <laughs> How about maybe? I mean, here's the problem: is I don't, I don't even have five grand in my bank account. But if I did, I think I'd put I, I might put that much on it. And let me rephrase it a different way. Then let me ask the question a different way: If somehow one of the LA teams doesn't make the NBA Finals this year, who is the next most likely team to come out of the West? Ooh, man, I don't know. I mean, it's it's it is somewhat of a drop off after that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. The Jazzes of the world aren't as quite as exciting as we thought they were going to be. 
although the record is still there. And then you've got um, teams like Portland that have really dropped off. I don't even think they're in playoff contention right now. No. Honestly, I, I, I don't quite know who, where I would go next. Where would you go? How about the Nuggets? Would you feel comfortable with them? I mean, I think that they're such a regular season team. That's my problem with the mm. Nuggets. Is that I don't think they have... First off, the NBA is a superstar-driven league, and it is so infrequent that a team without a true superstar can win a, you know, win the finals. And I don't, as much as I think that Nikola Jokic is a great player, I don't think they have that guy that can just take over a game. And that's why I'm not sold on the Nuggets. And obviously, both the Clippers and the Lakers have that guy. But you know, I don't think that it's out of the possibility that the Nuggets make it to the finals. But I really find it hard to believe that um, that a Nikola Jokic uh, led. Denver team can make it past LeBron, AD, uh, or on the other side of that, PG and, and Kawhi. How about on the eastern side, Andrew? I'm going to give you a list of teams. You tell me, do you believe this team has a shot in a seven-game series against Milwaukee? Toronto? No. Not on Toronto. Why not? No. I would say no for the very same reason. I think that Toronto proved to us last year that even though, obviously, they had Kawhi, they weren't as deep as most championship teams are, and they prove to us a little bit that, hey, you don't always need, in this case, more than one superstar, and they show that they have the wherewithal and the depth to do it. Obviously, Pascal Siakam would now be considered a fringy superstar. I wouldn't say that he would have been last last year, but I just don't think that they, I don't think they have that guy that can just, they can do it, and Giannis is going to give you that every single night, plus they have all that depth that the Raptors do. So I think that I, – I don't think that I they really stand that much of a chance. I mean, they stand a chance, but I would never think that they would beat the uh, the Bucks in a seven-game series. And they are just incredible this year. Their, their record is just it's, – it's, it's stupid how good they are. It, it is mind-blowing to me. 46-8? and eight. losing – yeah, I mean, especially after using, losing Malcolm Brogdon. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, it's just crazy to me. 46-8, and 25-3 inside the Pfizer Forum. Let's keep moving down the list. The Boston Celtics. I think they have a better chance. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, I'm a Celtics fan, and I still wouldn't pick them in a seven-game series over Milwaukee. I wouldn't either. Um, I think that I like their – and once again, I'm a guy that I think that in the playoffs, in the postseason, having that guy that can take over a game is unparalleled. I think that Kemba Walker gives you a little bit of that. I don't think that we've seen what he'll do in that big moment in the postseason to this point in his career, and obviously that'll come up. But then he's got some really, really good supplemental guys like your um, like your Tatums and your Browns and your what have you, and the list keeps going. And I think that's a team that is just going to keep getting better and better, and guys like Marcus Smart and, and, and what have you, and obviously Taco Fall. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> Uh, uh, but, I mean, no, seriously, I mean, that's going to be a great team. Maybe not this year, though. How about the Miami Heat? They're an interesting one because, you know, I've, I've been a Heat fan my whole life. Um, but the weird thing about the Heat has always been that even when, you know, the, the NBA today is so championship or bust, right? But the Heat have never been that way, even in those years where they don't have a superstar, and they've always stayed so, almost like a 500 team, but now they get Jimmy Butler in, and all mm-hmm. of a sudden, they've got the Kendrick Nuns of the world, and they've got their Tyler Hero, and of course, Bam Abadayo, and I mean, 
they are really, really good. And then they made some really big moves to the trade deadline and getting Iguodala and what have you. I think they're really dangerous. I don't think they beat the Bucks. Philadelphia. Philadelphia is another interesting one because, you know, they're a great team, but there's a lot of stuff that everybody's asking. Is there problems in that locker room? Are, are Embiid and Simmons not getting along? Is there enough shooting? Um, you know, I, I heard the idea bounced around. I think it was it was not quite true, but, you know, is Al Horford the problem? You know, and I only say that because um, – you know, Boston had some locker room problems last year. I don't think he's the problem at all. But I don't think that they have the, the chemistry, the leadership, um, really to get it done. I think Brett Brown's a great coach. I think that Embiid, Simmons, what have you, are incredible. Tobias Harris, uh, Horford, I don't think they have the shooting. I don't think they have the experience. So i got to go with the Bucks. Andrew, i got to ask you this. The 76ers have the best home record in basketball at 25-2. and On the road, they're 9-19, and the same road record as the New York Knicks. I, I don't know why that is. It's one of the greatest anomalies in sports. My theory is that it's just the sign of a team that's not very good. They didn't get better this offseason. They really didn't. You can't replace Jimmy Butler with Al Horford and think that you got better. I mean... I don't believe the Embiid and Simmons combination will ever result in a championship, and you're just not seeing a lot of players get better under Brett Brown. Now, that doesn't mean he's not a good coach, or he's not even a capable coach. I just don't know that it's a fit for him in Philadelphia. But to me, their 9-19 and road record is just the sign of a team that's not very good because your role players, your bench players, I'm sure they're fine at home, they can do their thing, but they're not going to give you the depth that you need on the road and playing in a different venue to be able to compete at a high level. No, I think you're exactly right. I think that Jimmy Butler, as a player, was the exact player that that, that, that he was the exact piece that that team needs. Right? It's a guy that can he can pull up off the dribble. He can get you a lot of threes. He can basically do everything, and that's exactly what that team needed. I mean, if they would have kept together that core group they had last year, including JJ Redick. I don't see how that team doesn't at least make a run to win an NBA championship. But with the way that they acted this offseason, adding Al Orford was literally the last thing that team needed. I mean, he's basically just another I – mean, Al Horford is a phenomenal basketball player. Don't get me wrong. But it's just – it's not what that team needed. It's not – they don't need another really tall, athletic, but not explosive – player that is okay at shooting. I mean, that's basically what they have all around, right? Outside of Ben Simmons, who can't really shoot at all. So I think that Jimmy Butler losing him was huge, and I think that the reason they're not good on the road, I would concur, because they're not that great of a team, although on paper they should be. So you said earlier, Andrew, you think the Lakers are the favorites. So Lakers, Milwaukee in the finals, you would pick the Lakers in that one by how many games? I don't know, man. I mean, immediately I want to say the Lakers, right? I want to say Mm -hmm. the Lakers in six. But there's just some sneaky nature about how good the Milwaukee Bucks are. I mean, when I think about it, I'm like, yep, Lakers in six. But there's something in the back of my mind saying, I'm always going to underestimate how great that Milwaukee team is. And I think some of that is because of the lack of coverage that they get, right? It's almost the, the Damian Lillard effect where, Unless you watch the NBA on a nightly basis, you always just hear, oh, yeah, Damian Lillard is an MVP candidate, but the average NBA fan 
that's all he's ever going to know is, oh, I hear that Damian Lillard's really good, right? Well, I think that that Milwaukee team in that same nature because of the lack of coverage that they've gotten traditionally, and I would say that they don't not get enough games on cable, but almost from a social media perspective, if that makes sense, they're not as popular. You don't see them as often. They're almost sneaky good because of how infrequently you see them, right? And also there's the LeBron and Anthony Davis aspect of it. But there's just something sneaky good about a Mike Budenholzer team led by Giannis. I, I'm going to take the Lakers, but something in the back of my mind wants to take the Bucks. It's really confusing, but I'm going to say Lakers instead. Let me ask you this and go back to something that you said earlier. You mentioned you hadn't been necessarily as impressed by the Clippers as you thought you would be. I feel the same way, but I think a lot of that is due to the fact that they have rarely had a fully healthy lineup. But Paul George, it's a, it's a recurring theme for him to injure that same knee. How big of a concern is that for the Clippers here going down the stretch? Oh, I think it's a huge concern. I think it's a really, really big concern. And it's an interesting situation. It's almost like what LeBron dealt with for so long is getting that chemistry on the floor in time for the for the playoff run, right? I mean, you always had those Cleveland teams that would make the moves at the deadline and then they didn't have the chemistry in the postseason. Um, but LeBron became adaptable and he became flexible and what have you. But this is a team in, in Kawhi and Paul George that are both okay being secondary guys, but they are very capable of being the guy but they also have to mesh on the floor and mesh with guys like Pat Bev and mesh like um, with, uh, with Lou Williams and, and Harrell and, and everybody else, and that just hasn't had the chance to take place yet. And until that runs its course, I don't think that they're going to be the team that we would expect them to be. Let me give another native Iowan a shout here. Has anyone done a better job this season as a coach? And I get Pascal Siakam is playing like an MVP candidate, but stabilizing a team after losing Kawhi Leonard, has anyone done a better job this year as head coach or should be a front runner instead of Nick Nurse for NBA Coach of the Year? No, and it's not even close. I mean, you could try to say Mike Budenholzer. I would disagree. Um, and the only reason you could ever say Mike Budenholzer is because of losing Malcolm Brogdon. But we're talking about Malcolm Brogdon versus Kawhi Leonard. Mm-hmm. So, no, it's, it's not even close. And I think you're exactly right. I mean, Nick Nurse, I don't know how he's kept that team so good and relevant. You're right, Pascal Siakam, obviously emerging as an MVP candidate. But it is just incredible that that team is still as good as it is. You think about what if Kawhi State, could Toronto be at that level with the Lakers, Clippers, or Bucks? Could they be the next NBA dynasty? Right. I mean, that's the thing is that last year, I at least thought to myself, like, oh, you know, the the Raptors kind of stole this. They kind of stole these finals because of all the injuries to the Warriors. And I don't think that I was necessarily right about that. I think that that's a Raptors team that was very legitimate, very deep, and um, kind of organically developed a superstar in Pascal Siakam. If, if Kawhi would have stuck around, that very well could have been a dynasty. Very well set up to do so. Andrew Banster is a play-by-play man for the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs, a broadcast partner, a podcast partner of mine. He's kind enough to give us some time here talking XFL, MLB, and NBA here in the sports pen. We are out of time, man. It's always good talking with you. Always enjoy this, man. It's been too long, and uh, shoot, I hope everything's going well out there in D.C. By the way, no snow out there. For our listeners, he told me there's no snow, and he misses it. 
You can have some of ours, Andrew. We got plenty. <laughs> I have a feeling you might say that. But yeah, man, I really do miss the snow. I miss uh, talking sports with you, so I'm really glad you had me on today. And I uh, appreciate, appreciate everybody listening. That's it for us here in ESPN-UP. For Andrew Banstra, I'm Tanner Hoops. Thanks for listening to the Sports Panel on ESPN-UP, WZAM, Ishpeming Marquette.